This episode is brought to you by the members and donors of the Best of the Left podcast. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, The Young Turks, Slate Magazine, The Colbert Report, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and I'm going to sneak in a little classic clip from The Al Franken Show. See if you can spot it in there. stars of the 40s and 50s. If you do like that, then you probably like the internet. As telecommunications expert Ted Stevens once explained, the internet is a series of tubes. Now currently everything moves through those tubes at pretty much the same rate. Like if you've got a packet of information from a major corporation like Google, that information gets exactly the same treatment as say a packet from a little startup company like John Stewart's head on Mario Lopez's body getting by unicorn.net. .net. I was going to have that .com, but it was already taken, so I got .net. The weird thing is I only had to Photoshop the head part on that. All right. Right now, the FCC is considering this issue called net neutrality. The Internet service providers, your Comcast, your ATTs, would like net neutrality not to happen, so they would have the ability to decide which content and websites would get the preferential treatment. For instance, let's say Comcast would buy NBC or something like that. Then they might let NBC shows come to your computer really, really fast while making CBS and ABC shows go a little bit more slowly. Nothing of what to say they might do with a less wealthy site like John Stewart's head on Mary Lopez's body getting <laughs> by unicorn.net. <laughs> creating a carpool lane on the internet, except instead of high occupancy vehicles, uh, only rich ass will be able to drive in it. <laughs> so who could possibly be against establishing net neutrality? Net neutrality would destroy this model of service that consumers have come to expect and it already works and works well. Could that lead to the government trying to regulate or take over the internet? We need to ensure we do not disrupt the necessary flexibility that has led to a vibrant marketplace one which continues to foster new technology around the world, helping liberate people of Afghanistan, Iraq, and Iran. Wait, what the? We, we could have liberated them over the Internet? Why, why, why did we send an army when we could do it the same way we buy shoes? Is there any other legislator out there even more out of touch with modern technology? VCR might still be blinking 12, 12, 12 out there, anybody? Senator John McCain wants the government to keep its hands off the internet. Ah, McCain. <laughs> Old Pony Express Johnson. <laughs> Steps into the void left by Ted Stevens. Keeping government hands off the internet. That's the purpose of legislation Senator John McCain introduced today. It's called the Internet Freedom Act of 2009. The Internet Freedom Act of 2009. Now, I know it sounds like that bill is the opposite of what its name implies in the way that, say, uh, George Bush's Clear Skies Act gutted environmental regulations and Larry Craig's No Hand For Me Thanks Act of 06, <laughs> which, oddly enough, allocated a million dollars in federal funding for, and I'm quoting here, hand for Larry Craig. <laughs> but it's not. McCain is proposing that AT&T and Verizon be given freedom to control what information passes through the internet. Information like John McCain is the number one recipient of donations from the telecom industry and their lobbyists for the past three years, which I looked up on the Google and it loaded pretty fast. <laughs> Why are 
these guys? Why are all these people so opposed to this innocuous populist legislation? There must be something more to it. Of course, like with every piece of legislation, it's not the obvious motive you have to look out for. Codifying some rules for net neutrality the way the government already provides rules for TV, radio, phone, and every other form of communication that's ever been devised by man, there's got to be a deeper game. What we have right now is an administration that's trying to centralize power in Washington over all aspects of our life. Unprecedented central economic planning for this country. And you can't do that unless you control the communication system. And that means all of it. Internet, television, radio. And that's exactly what they're trying to do with this. That's the game. If this goes through, we'll be living in a world where you can't log on to Fox News, but you can get onto PortugueseWaterDog.com. Like that. <laughs> and you know who else was for that? Hitler. Here comes my baby. Here she comes now. And that comes as no surprise to me. With another guy. Here comes my baby. Here she comes now. There was uh, this thing called the Patriot Act. And we were assured, don't worry, this is only has to do with cases of terrorism. Yeah, you know, it's going to go outside. It appears to be going outside of the wording of the Fourth Amendment significantly. But don't you worry your pretty little heart because we would never use this thing. Because, uh, I mean, we just passed it right after 9-11. We would never use this for anything other than terrorism. Well, let's see if that's how it wound up. We had a DOJ official, Department of Justice official, in front of Congress today. Uh, he had an interesting uh, interaction with Al Franken, which I'll describe to you in a little bit. Uh, but first was Senator Feingold. And Senator Feingold had some excellent questions for him. Let's watch clip number two. Mr. Chris, as you know, the Patriot Act provided statutory authority for the government to obtain a special sneak and peek criminal search warrants uh, that allow agents to break into Americans' homes and conduct secret searches without telling them for weeks, months, or even longer. It is true, isn't it, that these searches can be conducted also in run-of-the-mill criminal cases and do not require any connection to terrorism? Uh, that's true, both before... And in fact, and... according to a July 2009 report of the Administrative Office of uh, the U.S. Courts, isn't that exactly how this authority has most recently been used? The report shows that in fiscal year 2008, sneak and peek search warrants were requested 763 times, but only three of those initial requests, just three, were in terrorism cases. The vast majority were for drug cases. Now, is that your understanding of that report, and does it concern you at all? Um, it is my understanding, and I want to say thank you to your staff who um, alerted me and allowed me to uh, read the report in advance of this hearing. It does say here that 65% of the, these are criminal sneak and peek, were in drug cases. Obviously, just to make something clear, which I know you understand, that on the FISA side, the searches that we do pursuant to FISA 
are not exactly sneak and peek. They're generally covert altogether. So this authority here on the sneak and peek side, on the criminal side, is, is not meant for intelligence. It's for criminal cases. So it's, I, well, I guess it's not surprising to me that it applies in, in drug cases. I recall it was uh, in something called the USA Patriot Act, which was passed in a rush after an attack on 9-11 that had to do with terrorism. It didn't have to do with regular run-of-the-mill criminal cases. And let me tell you why I'm concerned about these num numbers. Uh, that's not how this was sold to the American people. It was sold, as stated on DOJ's website in 2005, as being necessary, quote, to conduct investigations without tipping off terrorists. I'm going to say it's quite extraordinary to grant government agents the statutory authority to secretly break into Americans' homes in criminal cases. And I think some Americans might be concerned that it's been used hundreds of times in just a single year in non-terrorism cases. And so how uh, did we wind up with something that was supposed to be applied to terrorism being used in terrorism cases three times and being used on other criminal cases Hundreds of times. Well, what? And do you remember back in the day? I don't know if any of you have been listening or watching for this long. When it got passed, and we were saying it was a bad idea, not not in the immediate aftermath of to, uh, of 9/11, but later, it was we began to realize what the national security letters were and how they were being used, and these woven wiretaps and how they were being used. Well, I, I said on the show. The first thing that they're going to use this on outside of terrorism is drug gangs. And I said that they were going to call it domestic terrorism or terrorism of a different sort. Now, they haven't necessarily called it that yet. I guess they felt they didn't need to bother, right? They're like, oh, who cares? We have the authority. Just use it. Use it on everything. Fourth Amendment. What name so? So that brings us to Al Franken. He's having an interaction with the same gentleman here, David Chris, Assistant Attorney General for the Justice Department's National Security Division. And he did something very simple. He read him the Fourth Amendment and then asked the follow-up question. So Al Franken read this portion of the Fourth Amendment. No warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. Al Franken asked, well, that's pretty explicit language, and how do you square the roving wiretap provisions in the Patriot Act with the fact that we are not naming the individual uh, that we are supposed to be naming here uh, to, to uh, wiretap? He says, oh, well, you know, there were court cases that said that you don't have to give their specific name as long as you uh, explain who they are in case you don't have their name. That's not what we're talking about here. We understand that, oh, you don't have the guy's name, but that's that guy right there and you describe him. That is not the case here. Here they've taken the Fourth Amendment, they're like, yeah, well that was interesting. Uh, no, we're not going to go ahead and do that. Instead, we can, you know, wiretap you uh, and do a roving wiretap without naming the specific place. Uh, and we don't have to get a court order and the list goes on and on. And no, it's not just terrorism cases or things that are linked to Al-Qaeda, it's now everything. So thereby changing the entire law of the United States and the Fourth Amendment entirely without bothering to actually change the Constitution. So that appears to be a little bit of a problem. You know who, what the vote was on the Patriot Act originally? 99 to 1 in the Senate. You know who the one was? Russ Feingold. Now that's the courage of your convictions. That's why we love Russ Feingold. Whether you agree with him or disagree with him, 
after 9-11 to say, hey, you know what? That tramples on liberties. I am not signing that thing. That takes stones. <laughs> okay. And he's been fighting that battle for a long, long time. And now other people are beginning to realize, and now you've got new people in the Senate going, hey, yeah, wait a minute, look at that, the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> Interesting. How come nobody considered this before? And we got a new day in America, but it's not, you know, it's, that change did not happen overnight, and it still hasn't happened. So they're still doing that struggle, and they got a battle, and that Department of Justice is now Barack Obama's Department of Justice. And they still have to fight them. Members of the Best of Left podcast are the wind beneath my wings. Their donations of as little as $5 a month are what allow me to keep this show on a steady schedule twice a week instead of just once as it has been in the past. In return, members receive access to the Best of the Left raw feed where they receive all of the clips that end up in the show, plus bonus material that doesn't make the final cut. And content in the raw feed is delivered in its original video format when available. If you appreciate the service that this show provides, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Today's story is called The End of Prohibition, Why Gay Marriage, Getting High, and Going to Cuba Will Soon Be Legal, and it's written by Jacob Weisberg. I think this would be a good time for a beer, Franklin D. Roosevelt said upon signing a bill that made 3.2% lager legal again, some months ahead of the full repeal of Prohibition. I hope Barack Obama will come up with some comparably witty remarks as he presides over the dismantling of our contemporary forms of prohibition, laws that prevent gay marriage, restrict cannabis as a Schedule I controlled substance, and ban travel to Cuba. You may now kiss the groom, perhaps, or a version of the comment he once made about smoking pot. I inhaled. That was the point. Prohibition now is different from prohibition then. When the 18th Amendment went into effect in 1920, it was a radical social experiment challenging a custom as old as civilization. Its predictable failure, the gross insult to individual rights, the impossibility of enforcement, the spawning of organized crime, came to an end when Utah, of all places, became the 36th state to ratify the 21st Amendment in 1933. Today, prohibition is a byword for futile attempts to legislate morality and remake human nature. Our forms of prohibition are more sins of omission rather than commission. Rather than trying to take away long-standing rights, they're instances of conservative laws failing to keep pace with a liberalizing society. But like prohibition in the 20s, these restrictions have become indefensible as well as impractical, and as a result are fading fast. Within 10 years, it seems a reasonable guess that Americans will travel freely to Cuba, that all states will recognize gay unions, and that few will retain criminal penalties for marijuana use by individuals. Whether or not Democrats retain control of Congress, whether or not Obama is re-elected, and whether they happen sooner or later than expected, these reforms are inevitable, not because politics has changed, but because society has. A few reference points. 
In April, Obama lifted restrictions on travel and remittances by Cuban Americans. Earlier this year, the Justice Department announced that it would no longer prosecute cases involving medical marijuana in the 14 states where it's now permitted. Same-sex marriages are recognized in six states and counting. In a larger frame, loosening restrictions and lax enforcement reflect evolving social norms. Since Bush left office, American tourists no longer worry about being prosecuted for visiting Havana without a Treasury license. Gay unions have been celebrated on the New York Times weddings page since 2002. And have you been to Los Angeles recently? You need only tell an on-site doctor at a cheerful walk-in pot emporium that you've been suffering from anxiety to walk out with a perfectly legal bag of Captain Cush. The chief reason these prohibitions are falling away is the evolving definition of the pursuit of happiness. What's driving the legalization of gay marriage is not so much the moral argument, but the pressures from couples who want to sanctify their relationships, obtain legal benefits, and raise children in a stable environment. What's advancing the decriminalization of marijuana is not just the demand for pot as medicine, but the number of adults, more than 23 million in the past year, according to the most recent government survey, who use it and don't believe they should face legal jeopardy. What's bringing the change on Cuba is not just the epic failure of the 48-year-old U.S. embargo, but the demand on the part of Americans who want to go there, whether to visit their relatives, prospect for post-Castro business opportunities, or sip rum drinks at the beach. For similar reasons, there's not likely to be any retreat on the basic legal status, as opposed to tinkering around the margins, of the right to have an abortion or own a gun. Conservatives would be wise to give up on the one, liberals on the other. In each of these cases, popular demand for an individual right is simply too powerful to overcome. The Internet has been a crucial amplifier of all such claims. With pornography and gambling, the web itself became an irrepressible distribution tool for indulgences that were once perforce local. When it comes to gay marriage, the web has accelerated the recognition of a new civil right by serving as an organizing tool and information clearinghouse. More broadly, the freest communications medium the world has ever known has raised expectations of personal liberty. In a world where everyone has his own printing press, restrictions on private behavior become increasingly untenable. Republicans face a risk in resisting these new realities. Freedom is part of their brand. If the GOP remains the party of prohibition, it will increasingly alienate libertarian leaners and the young. But the party, as presently constituted, has very little capacity to accept social change. Democrats face a danger in embracing cultural transformations too eagerly. Nearly four decades after George McGovern became known as the candidate of amnesty, abortion, and acid, Cultural issues are still treacherous territory for them. Why get in front of change when you can follow from a safe distance and end up with the same result? It's been a long, long time coming, but I know change is going to come. And it's too hard living, but I'm afraid to die, because I don't know what's up there. Just be on the sky. It's been a long, long 
time coming, but I know the change is gonna come. And I miss my family, my little girl. She is my princess. I'd give her the world. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know the change is gonna come. Some kind of belief that this war we're fighting can really bring some peace. I don't like Washington State. First off, they're putting us all in danger by trying to pop space with that giant needle. And now just look what their governor did. Surrounded by same-sex couples and their families, the governor signed a bill today that guarantees them everything but marriage. And today we complete, we complete the rights and responsibilities for domestic partners so they mirror those granted to heterosexual couples under the civil marriage laws of our state. Yeah, they call it everything but marriage. But I say if it looks like a duck and files a joint tax return like a duck and gets to visit its duck partner in a duck hospital, you might as well register at the duck pottery barn because it is gay duck marriage. And we know, folks, we know there are gay ducks. Well, thankfully, thankfully, a group called Protect Marriage Washington led a petition drive that put a referendum on the ballot to overturn everything but marriage. And they backed it up with some chilling ads. In May of 2004, gay marriage was legalized in Scandinavia. What happened? Did you know? That year alone, suicide rates doubled. The illegal drug rate increased 19 times. Terrifying. And that ad is no less terrifying just because there is no country called Scandinavia. None of the countries in Scandinavia passed gay marriage laws in 2004, and the statistics on suicide and drug use are made up. I say it just proves the terrible toll gay marriage has on fact-checking. Well, of course, the gay Gestapo has now asked the state of Washington to disclose the names of everyone who signed the petition. But the conservative group that organized it wants to keep the name secret. I assume they'll just hide the list in a place where gay people would never look, like J.C. Penney's. <laughs> this week, this week, the United States Supreme Court stopped the release of the petitioner's names, but it is only a temporary reprieve, folks, and it brings us to tonight's word. Don't ask, don't tell. This case involves Americans' most precious right, the freedom of speech. Now, sure, sure, this petition affects legislation, is part of the public record, and the law says voters have the right to know who signed it. But the lawyer, the lawyer for Protect Marriage Washington, James Bopp, says the First Amendment protects citizens from government-compelled disclosure of their identity when they are engaged in political speech. Exactly. Signing a petition is a sacred trust between you and a stranger at a folding table outside the mall. <laughs> Just imagine what would happen if those signatures were released. 
I'll let a man with a strange name explain. Who knows where these digital copies of our personal identifiers end up? They could end up in China. God knows what would happen if our names ended up in China. <laughs> Folks. Folks, this is a terrible invasion of the petitioner's privacy. If those names are released, we would all then know the signer's sexual orientation. Orientation. <laughs> By which I mean their orientation about other people's sexual orientation. And that's a very personal thing. Now, some say, some say, hey, too bad. They chose to sign this petition. But, folks, I don't believe it is a choice. I believe you're born thinking gays don't have the right to get married. <laughs> or even be joined in union. And, folks, the gays have no right to out those people. Now, my personal sexual orientation orientation is a matter of public record. I've said countless times that I don't believe gays should be allowed to marry or get driver's licenses or join the subway sub club. But some, some of these petition signers may have open-minded parents who aren't ready to accept that their child is intolerant. They also may not be ready to tell their co-workers that their friend Philip isn't just a roommate, but a very special someone who helps them make up facts about Scandinavia. <laughs> Folks, we need to protect this persecuting minority. And the only way I can see to do that is for Washington residents to vote in favor of gay domestic partnerships. Because then, no one will care who signed the petition. And these people can stay in the closet that the gay people have abandoned. I'm sick of always hearing all the sad songs on the radio. All day, it is there to remind an oversensitive guy that he's lost in the gay marriage ban, of course, in Texas, and the good people of Texas are very much in favor of this. Um, in fact, it was a constitutional amendment in 2005, and um, it uh, passed the legislature, and it was overwhelmingly ratified by the voters. Nicely done, Texas. Uh, no more gay marriage. Uh, it says this, the marriage in this state shall consist only of the union of one man and one woman. Well, that makes sense, and that's the way they decided to go. I'm not a big fan, but okay, that's fine. Uh, Here's the only problem, the next clause. The next clause says, this state or political subdivision of this state may not create or recognize any legal status identical or similar to marriage. 
Now, the reason they said that is because they wanted to say, hey, no civil unions, no domestic partnership, nothing like marriage. But here's what someone just realized. It didn't say other than marriage. It just said no institution like marriage. Let me read it to you again. This state or political subdivision of this state may not create or recognize any legal status identical or similar to marriage. The good folks of Texas have banned marriage, which is awesome. <laughs> All marriage, it's gone. <laughs> Gay marriage, straight marriage, any kind of marriage, it's gone. And when they realize it, they're like, damn it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure they can say damn it. <laughs> they're good religious folks over there. Golly gee, what Chris Jesus, what we done? <laughs> So now they're in a bit of a panic. They're thinking of a Second Amendment. Uh, people can't believe that they made that kind of mistake, and it got past everybody. Okay, so fun for everybody. Uh, marriage has been dissolved in the great state of Texas. Now, my guess is that this isn't going to cause a lot of problems. It's not like people are going to be like, oh, well, honey, there it goes. Okay. I'll see you later. I'm going to go to strip club. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but look, it could create real legal problems because look, when money's on the line, you think people aren't going to use it. They're going to say, hey, look, I got this amendment passed in 2005. I got married in 06. I got divorced in 08. Now she wants half my money or he wants half my money. Well, it turns out there are no legal marriages in the state of Texas. Sad day, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So they got to get on this and they got to change this right away. But I am greatly amused by it. And furthermore, one serious point here in this story, though. Notice how everybody else panics when they're not allowed to get married. Like now when the straight, straight marriage is not allowed in Texas, they're like, what do you mean? No, no way. You can't take marriage away from us. We're straight. Oh, but you don't mind taking it away from other Americans, right? Because you don't like their lifestyle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can take it away from them. Not us, though. We're straight Americans. I'm not sure I saw the part in the Constitution that said, you know, uh, Americans are to be divided between two groups, straight and gay. And here are the laws and the protections that will be afforded in the United States Constitution to straight Americans, but not to gay Americans. So it's, uh, it's a fun little thing that has exposed their hypocrisy. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. It's a mistake It's a mistake After the laughter has died away And all the boys have had their fun No surface noise now, not much to say They got the bad guys on the run Don't try to say Paula, the Democratic candidate for Texas Attorney General, is contending that a clause in the 2005 state constitutional amendment that banned gay marriages actually mm. does what? 
bans all marriage. In fact, yes. <laughs> the amendment says, yeah, down with marriage. The amendment says marriage shall consist only of the union of one man and one woman. That's just fine as far as Texas goes. But then there's subsection B. The state can't, quote, recognize any legal status identical or similar to marriage, unquote. You know what's really similar to marriage? <laughs> marriage. It's almost yeah. identical. It really is. Damn close. They're always telling us that gay marriage would ruin it for the rest of us. Well, I hope you're happy now. <laughs> the current attorney general of Texas disagrees. There's any problem there. Uh, but there, there, there may have been repercussions beyond the gay marriage debate, though. This might end up banning things like um, going steady, being friends with benefits. <laughs> Fortunately, um, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes are still legal in Texas because whatever that is, it's not similar to marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Might even ban uh, being miserable. Really? Yeah, for several years. Is that similar to marriage? That can be. It can. <laughs> Under certain conditions, yeah. none of which pertain to you right now. No, not currently. God, no. <laughs> but they have. I understand. George W. Bush wants to amend our Constitution to ban gay marriage. But evidently, Bush has no problem with terrorists getting married. Right now in America, terrorist couples are plotting to sanctify their love for each other in holy matrimony and to blow up the Holland Tunnel. Call George W. Bush and tell him America doesn't need a president who is soft on terrorist marriage. Because unlike gays, terrorists can breed. Brought to you by the Coalition to Distract You from Important Issues. the successes of our criminal justice system. Whether it's finding my neighbor for not curbing his dog, or finding my neighbor for leaving his trash cans too close to the curb, or finding my neighbor for raking my leaves back onto my lawn. I've got my eye on you, Alan. Point is, private property is what this country was built on. That and Indian bones. And nowhere is that more true than in Salt Lake City, Utah, the scene of tonight's Naildom. The American West, 
A land where justice is as rough and ready as the terrain. This is the story of justice on our nation's frontier. The great state of Utah and of two criminals, Derek Jones and Matt Awney. They live in Salt Lake City, and one night in July, they got nailed. Here's how it went down. We were uh, attending a free concert that, uh, the, that Salt Lake City puts on every year. It was about 11.30 at night, there was no one out. Concert had ended. We yeah, decided to we were walk just walking home. home. We decided, what the hell, we're gonna, we're gonna hold hands. As we walk down Main Street. The block of Main Street that just happens to run beside the holy temple of the Mormon church. And then, right in front of the temple, Matt made a fateful decision. I gave him a kiss on the cheek. I put my arm around him like this, and I just... Right at that moment, the Mormon church security guard approach us and tell us, you're being inappropriate, you need to leave. He says, well, what you're doing is disgusting. What you're doing is wrong. Those are his exact words. Matt leans closer in and says right back to them, what are we doing that's inappropriate? That's when they lost it. They pushed me away, forced my arms behind my back, forced me onto the ground, face down, handcuffed me. And I said, this is bull Bull or busted. Nailed for trespassing on private property. The law here is perfectly clear. Professor John Fee teaches property law at Brigham Young University. He's also a Mormon. This is the house of the Lord, and so you can imagine why uh, the church is especially protective of this property. So protective that they bought all the land around the temple including that block of downtown Main Street. Even though it used to be a city street and is still used by the public every day, the fact is... The church can exclude anyone they want from this place for any reason. And we all know the reason. They stopped us because we were gay. What? Gay? Who said anything about being gay? You were busted for criminal trespass. The Mormon church doesn't care whether you're gay. You've got to look at your trespassing through the church's eyes. You were just two ordinary trespassers coming home from a trespassing party who started to trespass it up all over their property. Trespassing it good. So naturally, after you refused to stop your hot criminal on criminal trespassing, you had to be helped off. Sometimes it's not always easy to get someone off of private property. Right. You were on their private property, and you made it hard when they tried to get you off. Isn't that right, Derek? Matt. What? Matt. So you're Derek? Yes. All right, whatever. Where were we? I was busted because I was gay, and my partner gave me a kiss. But the church's press releases say nothing about you being gay. It merely says you were lewd, profane, and groping. And I'm sure that a straight couple making out on the property would be kicked off, too. Right, Professor? Sticking it to the gays? I am absolutely not a professor of sticking it to the gays. But yes, this is a reverent environment, and gay or straight, passionate kissing just doesn't generally fit with that. Which means this couple, in the exact same spot on the plaza, kissing passionately, is about to get busted. 
watch closely because any minute now the hammer's coming down and the guards are going to be coming out with guns blazing and you know maybe they're all in church i think they should just own up to it and admit that they don't like gays and they don't want them on or near their property well that's easy for you to say but how would you like it if two mormons came to your house and trespassed all over your couch hey hey guys eyes front the fact is in a civil society this sort of criminal behavior just can't be tolerated being gay is not a crime not yet but trespassing is nailed them we got mailed because i always have to steal my kisses from you I always have to steal my kisses from you Always have to steal my kisses from you Always have to steal my kisses from you Now I love to feel that warm southern rain Just to hear it fall is the sweetest sound of thing And to see it fall on your simple country dress Fly heaven to me Cause I always have to steal my kisses from you I always have to steal my kisses from you Always have to steal my kisses from you I always have to steal my kisses from you Well, you want real fun You don't have to go to Mr. Butter's I feel like we've done a story on Mr. Butters before. He's a, a state senator from Utah, so unsurprisingly a Republican, Chris Butters. Now, here's the situation. In uh, Utah, the Church of Latter-day Saints has actually supported a, a bill, a local bill, that's going to, in Salt Lake, that's going to bar landlords and employers from discriminating based on sexuality. Now, that's a great thing, right? They're saying no discrimination based on your sexuality in Salt Lake City. And, in fact, Church of Latter-day Saints is looking... Uh, to support this throughout Utah. Okay, so they're going in the right direction here. Now, uh, Senator Butters doesn't have a very good track record in supporting gay rights, to say the least, okay? But now that the Mormon Church is basically going in this direction, he says, well, I'm willing to go that far, but I'm definitely not willing to go farther. Now, the way he says it is fantastic. So, it starts out fun, but wait for the end, where it's going to get great. Let's watch. Well, Bob, we're talking about rights against housing and job discrimination for people no matter their sexual orientation. Now, the LDS Church said they approve of those rights. Salt Lake City made it a law. Senator Chris Butters said he agrees with that, but nothing more. Sure, the gays look at this as a step towards killing Amendment 3. Senator Chris Butters championed State Amendment 3 banning gay marriage, but he says he agrees with the LDS Church. My goodness, anybody should be able to live in a house and have a job and not worry about being thrown out by sexual choices, unless they act out. But the issue of acting out is significant to Butters. Along with marriage itself, Senator Butters is concerned with fighting adoption rights that may come up this year. As far as I'm concerned, that's dead on arrival. And he is worried about the homosexual lifestyle becoming accepted or sanctioned in Utah public life. I meet with the gays here and there. They're in my house two weeks ago. I, I don't mind gays, but I don't want them stuffing it down my throat all the time, and certainly in my kid's face. <laughs> you don't want it down your throat, Mr. Butters? 
<laughs> I suppose not. Now, you know, Mr. Butters here has had an uh, interesting history of uh, interesting choice words uh, that he uses when discussing this topic. Earlier, he had said about gay men and women, uh, the quote, the greatest threat to America going down are gay men and women. What's on your mind, Senator Butters? <laughs> What's going on? What's going on through your head there? And, of course, he's not really a fan of gay rights, as you might have guessed. He's also said, I believe they will destroy the foundation of American society. In my mind, it's the beginning of the end. Sodom and Gomorrah was lo localized. This is worldwide. And I, I, I like, of course, how he was very, very, uh, you know, merciful. He's like, I, I had him in my house the other day. Sounds like that, uh, well, I just gave him a southern accent, by the way. Sounds like that guy from Louisiana uh, the, that wouldn't marry the uh, black and white couple, the interracial couple. He's like, what? I have blacks in my house all the time. They even use my bathroom. Well, are you not merciful? Okay. And he says, I don't have a problem as long as they don't act up or anything like that. I mean, I'm not going to give them rights like marriage and adoption. Again, I gave him a southern accent. <laughs> He's from Utah, but he did have a funny accent. Now, if you think uh, Santa Butters uh, only dislikes uh, gay folks, now, look, interpret it as you will. On a, uh, another controversial bill, uh, he s said about the bill, this baby is black, I tell you. This is a dark and ugly thing. I, I, I assume he doesn't mean about the people. But again, interesting word choice. Right? Very, very interesting. I mean, I got the gay stuff and things out my throat. And then all over the face and stuff. And then they're going down. And then the blacks come in and they're ugly. And I, what? What, I said something wrong? What happened? Did I give myself an accent again? I am unacceptable. I denounce and reject myself. in the field of homosexuality with Gay Watch. Tonight, two stories. One about an immature boy. The other about a man. I'll let you decide which is which. We begin in Boston. Could your faith cost you a job? Peter Vidalis says it happened to him. After allegedly being bombarded by a co-worker's constant conversation about her gay lifestyle... I think there may be more to this story than just his faith. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what happened, Peter? A manager came in from one of our other Brookstone locations. Wait. You have a problem with gay people and you work at Brookstone? <laughs> The one-stop shop for all my towel-warming and Tuscan herb mini-garden needs? 
Just saying. <laughs> Go on. She continuously brought up these references to her homosexual, uh, you know, to her homosexual lifestyle. Kept making references to this, uh, this out of work uh, homosexual behavior, bringing up this this uh, so-called homosexual fiance. I just, you know, went to the chapel briefly to pray about it, and um, you know, I, I finally just said to her regarding your homosexuality. I said, I believe that's, or I think that's bad stuff. Yeah, no, it, it must have been very awkward for you to have to listen to someone preach about their lifestyle. You know, I got a little career advice for you at your next job. Try not to tell your boss that the person they love and would like to spend the rest of their life with is an abomination unto the Lord. <laughs> also, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, we check in with the adult in this story. A 10-year-old boy from Arkansas is taking a stand by sitting down. Will Phillips is refusing to pledge allegiance to the flag in his fifth grade classroom. Outrageous! Kids today, unprincipled, undisciplined, our future is bleak. Will Phillips is refusing to pledge allegiance to the flag in his fifth grade classroom until there really is, as the pledge says, liberty and justice for all. That is, he says, until gays and lesbians have equal rights. Outrageous! Kids today, with their principles and discipline. What's the reaction been from your fellow students at school? Not very good. They've um, taken from uh, what I said an assumption that I'm gay and, and the halls and the cafeteria I've been repeatedly called a gay wad. A, 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 a gay wad? What, what's a gay wad? What's a gay wad? What is a gay wad? me, right, Roberts? What's a gay wad? Like, you don't know what a gay wad is. You know, Roberts, I didn't think we were going to have to have this talk, but uh, what's a gay wad? Sometimes when two dillweeds love each other very much, you know what? I have a feeling this kid can handle that. What's a gay wad? I really don't know. It's a discriminatory name for homosexuals. You know what? This is a very valuable child. This child must be protected. Foley! Ladies and gentlemen, Mick Foley! Thank you, John. Like a lot of my professional wrestling brethren, I was touched by young Will's plight. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If I find out that anybody has hassled this young man, or teased him, or called him a wad of any sort, I and perhaps a few of my friends will come to his school and bring a world of pain. Teachers, faculty, students, beware, because the eyes of Mick Foley are upon you. Misery will be your study buddy. Pain, your only lab partner. Go get him! The arms of one ripped off to beat another. You tell him, Mick Foley! Tell him! This boy is a great American. Yeah! 
leave him be, or you will feel my hands as they wrap into your small intestines and use you as a human tether ball. Life is full of little ironies, none greater than the fact that God decreed that gays must never marry, but then made them such great wedding planners. <laughs> gays, I believe thou hast been punked. <laughs> but homosexuals just won't give up trying to create a nightmare future where they live in committed loving relationships. And they don't care who it hurts, folks. Look no further than Washington, D.C., where... If a same-sex marriage law passes as expected, the Catholic Church has announced that it will be unable to continue the social service programs it runs for the city, including shelters that serve one-third of Washington's homeless people. I mean, they have no choice. After all, Jesus said, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, unless a couple of dudes register at the Pottery Barn, in which case, <laughs> the poor. in bed. That is, that is my own translation from the Aramaic. Now, either these gays are too selfish to see that they're ruining God's commandment to be charitable, or that's part of their plan. You see, gays ruin everything sacred. Just look at what Michelangelo did to the Sistine Chapel. They'll never scrub that stuff off. Well, now they're coming after the most sacred human act of all, and it brings us to tonight's word. Skeletons in the closet. Folks, last year, Mark Goldberg, a Rhode Island resident and confirmed homosexual, we have confirmed that, right? Okay, good. Was kept from claiming the body of his partner, even though the two had been together for 17 years and were married in Connecticut. Not only was he not allowed to claim the body, he couldn't put an obituary in the paper. Although that might just be because there aren't any newspapers left in Rhode Island. <laughs> so, of course, of course, the left wing legislature decided to grant gays special rights like the right to claim the bodies of and make funeral arrangements for their loved one. Typical activist legislator, 
legislating through legislation. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God Rhode Island Governor Donald Carcieri vetoed the bill, calling it, quote, a disturbing trend of the incremental erosion of the principles surrounding traditional marriage. Exactly. The gays are always trying to steal the best parts of marriage. You know, like claiming the body of your spouse. This is an assault on marriage from beyond the grave. They're like gay zombies. They start with marriage, but what they really want is to change our minds. That's right. These gay zombies want our brains. Carcieri knows this is even more important than the sanctity of marriage. You're married for what? If you're lucky, 50 years. You're dead for eternity. Well, folks, I say God did not intend for death to be between a man and another man. Death is between one man and one very hungry worm. Now, let's suppose, let's suppose that one day one day, God forbid, the governor dies. How is he supposed to rest in peace knowing that a couple of plots over, two dudes are being gay dead? Remember. Remember, folks. Jesus said, what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. If we bury them gay together down here, they're going to be gated up in the afterlife. That's not heaven. Heaven is singing in a choir in a flowing white robe, wearing little white wings, playing a harp. You know, guy stuff. And the governor. And folks, I believe. that the governor might not be going far enough if we really want to protect the sanctity of traditional decomposing. It might be time to bar gays from having funerals. Now hear me out, hear me out. I am not a monster. I am in favor of civil end-of-life ceremonies. It's, it's just like a funeral, except legally you don't have to bring a covered dish. And instead of defiling our traditional graveyards, gay people can have their own same-sex cemeteries. We'll call them cemeteries. <laughs> all the governor, all the governor and I are saying is that we shouldn't have to watch these people flaunt their alternative death style. So, no open caskets and no viewing of the gay deceased. Because if gay couples are going to die in accordance with their present legal standing, they need to be dead the same way we want them to live, invisibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, I actually have some really special event for today. Never before happened, something totally brand new and out of the ordinary. Hold tight, just a minute for that. Of course, we have to eat our vegetables first. I've got to remind you that the podcast awards are happening. They're coming very close to a close now. Voting is open every day, and you can vote every 24 hours. Best of Left has been nominated 
as a best produced podcast and our friends over at the young Turks have been nominated for the best political podcast and they're up against the likes of rush Limbaugh. So we definitely want to support them in that battle. And of course I'm asking you to support us for the best produced. So head over every single day, set an alarm for yourself, mark a favorite on your bookmarks, do what it takes Go to podcastawards.com every day between now and the end of the month and vote for us, the Young Turks, and whoever else you like in all the rest of the categories. Secondly, I want to mention, if you've been uh, living in a cave, Best of Left now has an iPhone, an iPod Touch application. It's very cool. It lets you access the show without having to you know, download it and sync to your computer. And every show comes with a bonus clip. The clip of today is actually yet another, you know, just the the nature of the topic. We heard lots from uh, The Daily Show and Colbert today. Well, the bonus clip is also another clip from The Daily Show, and it was their take on the vote that happened on gay marriage up in Maine. So naturally, they did a great job breaking that down. If you have the Best of Left application, you can check that out. Okay, now, the very exciting, very cool thing that's happening is a listener of the show is actually two things. One, an Iraq War veteran, and two, a brand new author. And so this guy wrote me an email. It just made, you know, he sounds like the sweetest guy in the world. Wrote, wrote this really nice, really polite email, basically saying that if I were to mention his book on the show, just make his day. And my actually my favorite part of the email, he said, you know, naturally, his uh, his publisher offered to to write the email to me, and he said, "No, no, no let let me write it. I, you know, I, I think I'll do a better job," uh, which was totally the right call. Because man, if I had gotten an email from some random publisher about some random book, I probably wouldn't have even read it. But when a listener writes in, I take notice. So I'm going to do one better than just mentioning the book, uh, which is. Mass Casualties by Michael Anthony and it's his uh, personal memoir of his time in Iraq spent as an army medic but that's all I'll say about it I'm actually going to give Michael a couple of minutes to talk about it himself from an interview he sent me he's going to describe what the book's about and then even read you a little excerpt of it the book is a memoir of my time in Iraq and it's it's just a behind-the-scenes depiction of what goes on over there. Once all the uniforms are taken off, once all the gear is taken off, what goes on behind the scenes, the talk of the soldiers, the, the, the peccadillos that go on with you know, human characters behind the scenes. And it's just that, that look that you're not going to get anywhere else, you know, any other stories or newspaper articles or movies or television things. You know, There's the real version of the war, and then there's the Hollywood version, and then there's the uh, immediate version. And, what I wanted to do was just fill in the gaps in between. I'm lying in bed and my eyes are wide awake. I can't sleep. The ambient isn't working. I'm not hallucinating or seeing things. I'm not falling asleep. My mind is too wired. I'm scared. I'm really scared. More scared than thinking I might go to jail. More scared than all the nights I spent hunched over in a bunker as mortars landed all around me. I'm scared about the future. What happens when I go home? I'm 21 and I don't know what I want in life. Sure, I can go back to college, but that's only delaying the inevitable. I think about all the people in my unit. I see people who are respected in society. They're doctors, nurses, pharmacists, anesthesiologists, and since we're reservists, some of them also have different jobs in the civilian world. They're police officers, teachers, and firefighters, but they don't have respect for themselves and one another. 
I'm scared because I don't want to end up like any of these people, and I really don't know how to prevent it. I remember someone once telling me something about finding a mentor or finding someone that has what I want in life and then modeling that person's behavior and attitudes. I tried, I tried finding someone, I really did, but I couldn't find a single person in my unit that had what I wanted. I'm appalled by the majority of them, but I'm no better than them, I know that. I'm 21 years old and I've lived on my own since I was 18. During surgical training, I assisted in delivering almost a dozen babies. I left home to go to war. I've seen people die and grown man cry. I've cowered in a bunker for hours at a time, fearing for my life. I've gone days without sleep and have assisted in hundreds of surgeries. I survived all of this, but I'm still afraid to go back into the real world. In the army and in Iraq, I don't have to worry about anything. Three square meals a day are provided. I've got shelter over my head and a steady paycheck. I don't have to worry about what I'll do on any given day because I already know. I'll work. All decisions are made for me. The only thing I have to worry about is the possibility of dying. So there you go. That was an excerpt of the book Mass Casualties read by the author Michael Anthony. And it's, you know, it's kind of exciting because, you know, this isn't just another random author on a book tour, you know, hawking his, his book. This guy, you actually know, he's he's a listener of this show. He's a fan of this show. So you, you know kind of where he's coming from. He shares the ideals that this show espouses. And so if you're at all interested in getting, you know, one of these insider accounts of the war over in Iraq, then, you know, frankly, you might as well go with this one because you kind of, you, you know a little bit about the author before you even start. And it's, it's actually been very well reviewed. Um, you know, the, the big name that, that stood out for me was Howard Zinn actually, uh, reviewed the book and gave it very positive marks, but you can see there's all, all sorts of positive reviews on his website. So, uh, so check out the book mass casualties at masscasualties.com. And then, and now just to be super clear about it, this is definitely not a paid endorsement, uh, nor to be totally honest, did I have time to read the book myself, but I, you know, just I'm going off of the excerpts I've read, the email I received from Michael and, and the reviews I, I read on the website. So I thought that was enough to make it legitimate enough to, uh, to at least mention and let you decide on your own if it's worth checking out. Now, of course, around here, it is the members who make the world go round. So I just want to thank a couple before I go. Maryland R signed up for membership on October 31st and Bernard K signed up on November 15th. Huge thanks to both of them. Marilyn signed up for a year in advance, which is awesome. And, you know, it's great for her. She saves a couple of bucks on, on the membership and supports the show for a whole year. And, uh, and Bernard, huge thanks to him for going above and beyond the minimum membership uh, donation amount. Uh, you know, the minimum's only five bucks, which is like nothing. And he went above and beyond that. So special thanks to, uh, to him and anyone who, who wants to donate a little bit more to keep the show going. And now that is it for today. So you can support the show for absolutely free just by telling, you know, five or 10 or, or 50 of your friends about the show, you know, why, why stop at five? And then of course you can leave five star reviews in iTunes for the podcast and the application, and then keep those votes coming at podcastawards.com. You can stay connected to the show between episodes by following us on uh, Twitter and Facebook. That's twitter.com slash best of the left and facebook.com slash best of the left and then details about the show including links to the music used and all of the sources included in the show can be found for this episode and every episode in the show notes on the blog 
So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. My name is Jay, and this has been the Best of Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend, only thanks to the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Hi, my name is Mike. Could I have your ears for a real short rant? This message is totally unsolicited. In fact, the only way you could be hearing my message right now is because Jay heard this very same recording and gave me a little space. So thanks, Jay. Hey, talk about penny-pinching in this economy. I've whittled down a normal middle-class existence to my current bare-bones income, and I do it on early Social Security retirement. That's 25% less than regular Social Security. $5 is a lot of money to me, but I consider it important enough to give those dollars to Jay every month to further his great program, the twice-weekly Best of the Left podcast. So if you could possibly squeeze a subscription into your budget, do it. Hey, if I can come up with a fiver every month, I think most people can. And if you can't, keep listening. Do those three things that Jay asks you to do, and then subscribe when you can. Thanks.